Welcome back. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here at High Point Church. This is High Point Online, and we are thrilled to be worshiping with you this morning, wherever you're watching from, whether it's Georgia, whether it's Kennesaw and Atlanta area, or all the way out in California, or maybe even in a different country. We're thrilled to be worshiping with you today. Um, today, I want to speak to you uh, about something that is uncomfortable for a lot of people. Uh, there's a great deception that oftentimes creeps and sneaks into our heart and it begins to work its way into our relationship with God. And the nature of deception is that you don't see it. You don't know it. You don't understand it for what it is. And so today, I want to speak to us about money. That's right, money. Now, some of you are already thinking to yourself, this is, I'm changing the channel. Right, you're looking for the remote control. You know, you've got you're streaming it on the TV, and you're thinking, no, this is I don't like this conversation. Maybe there's just you know there's history there, there's baggage there, what whatever it might be. I get it, I understand that. Hang tight. Some of you are watching right now, and you've heard sermons on stewardship and money, and and you're thinking, I don't really need this, um, or kind of just my my financial situation is what it is. It's not changing. And so this is my moment to bail. Don't go anywhere quite yet. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I actually want you to lean into the sermon today. It is oftentimes, in fact, the vast majority of the time in my relationship with Jesus, it's the areas that I find uncomfortable or the areas that I think I don't need any work that most often prove to be the areas where God is trying to work the most. And so this morning, my invitation to us is to lean in and let God do a fresh work inside of us. Let's pray. and We're going to get into the Bible this morning. Father, thank you for this time together as a church. Thank you for the even just the technology and the ability for us to worship online together. And Lord, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, wherever we're watching from and however we're watching, I pray that you would move in our hearts today, in this moment. Lord, have your way. It's in the name of your amazing, beautiful, wonderful Son, Jesus, that we say, amen. Amen. We're in a series right now called This Is Who We Are. Now, there's, we can talk about who the church is just globally, the global church, but we're talking a little bit about who we are in our local context. It doesn't matter if you're watching online or, or you don't live locally right here. You can still be part of our local church, even though you may not be in actual proximity to our portion of Atlanta. I want you to understand that. I want you to know that. But here's what I, I want us to, to get into the, the, the kind of the bloodstream today. Uh, last week, my wife, she preached about this, this idea of who we are, that, that you're never too lost to be found. That this is something that we believe at High Point. This is something that embodies us. We embrace this. We live this out. You're never too lost to be found. You cannot outrun God's grace. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you've already done that has somehow removed you from God's forgiveness or his ability to invite you in to his kingdom and call you a son or a daughter. There's nothing that you can do to outrun God's grace. You're never too lost to be found. And because that is true, 
Because we wholeheartedly believe that, it inspires us to be prayerful. It pushes us to pray. It, it moves us to have conversations with people about Jesus and to share our faith and invite people to church. Why? Because we never know what God might do. You're never too lost to be found. That's who we are. That's part of what it means to be a part of this tribe. Okay? Today we're talking about money. We're talking specifically about generosity and the fact that God has called us to be extravagant givers. This is also a part of who we are. This is, this is what it means to be a part of this tribe. Now, I believe that every Christian is called to be generous, but one of the things that we do at High Point that I, that I believe has embodied us and defined us and is going to continue doing so is this idea that God has called us. It's not an invitation. It's not a suggestion. It is a calling upon our church to be extravagantly generous. Extravagant means that it's, that it's beyond reason. It's unreasonable. I don't know about you, but I want to have the kind of faith and the kind of relationship with Jesus that doesn't just stay safe and comfortable all the time. I want it to be extravagant. I want there to be an unreasonable, beyond logic, beyond the ability to fully grasp and understand aspect of my relationship with God. It shouldn't always just be fully understandable. God has called us to be extravagant givers. And I'm thankful to say that when, we, when Amy and I moved here to plant the church and the church started, and our church, you, those watching, you've done amazing things. We've helped families with rent and electric bills and groceries. We've partnered with schools and sewed in backpacks and school supplies. We've helped teachers. We've bought coffee. We've been a blessing. We've been a blessing. We've been a blessing. We have done our best to literally be a blessing to our community. When there was a fire that burned down an apartment complex very close to where we are, you rallied and gave thousands of dollars to help get people back on their feet. We sow into missions. We partner with church plants. We partner with every nation to see new churches in North America, Europe, etc. We're a giving church. But here's also what I know. I know that God has called us to be extravagant givers. And that means we get to continue growing in this area. And I believe right here, right now, God is calling you and he's calling me and us to grow in this area. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what, here's what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, Since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. See that you also grow in this area. In other words, you're growing in all of these areas. You're growing. You're growing in love. You're growing in, in passion and earnestness. You're growing in, in faith and speech and knowing how to talk about God and to share your faith. Don't neglect those things, but don't forget also to grow in this area, the area of generosity. Imagine a Christian, right, that's worked out just like half their body, their whole life. They just worked out like the left arm. 
and their left arm is jacked, but they don't ever work out the right arm, would that not look weird? Would it not be unusual? Would you not look at that person and think, what is wrong with that guy, right? Of course you would. And yet for many Western Christians, this is exactly what things look like for us. We've worked out all these other areas, but we neglect pushing and growing and fighting to become something greater in the area of generosity. Let's do something about it today. Luke chapter 18, one of my favorite uh, parables in the Bible. Excuse me, it's not a parable. It's an encounter with Jesus. With the rich young ruler. You may have heard this story before. We're going to read it together. We're going to break it down and see what it means for us as a church. Luke 18, verse 18. A certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, he looks at him and says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. Now, this is a message on generosity, but you know what? Do that too. Honor your mama and your daddy, okay? Don't forget, that was free. (laughs) All these I've kept since I was a boy, he says. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. I don't know about you, but I find this encounter with Jesus troubling. There's a lot of of spiritual and mental gymnastics that I immediately begin to do when I read this encounter with Jesus because Lord knows I want to make sure that I'm on the right side of of things in this story. I want to make sure that that I, I, I know what applies to me and what does not apply to me. What is the context in this situation? Because Lord knows Jesus certainly couldn't be asking me to go sell everything and follow him. Certainly not. And so we're quick to dismiss the implications of this encounter with Jesus. Mind you that every disciple thus far who's with Jesus has left everything to follow him. They've left everything. They left their nets, they left their jobs, they left their occupations. I mean, they didn't leave their families, obviously, but they they left every measure of security to follow Jesus. Mark tells us that this man, that, that Jesus was leaving town during this encounter. And this man is actually running after Jesus as Jesus is leaving the city. And then he falls on his knees at, at Jesus's, in front of Jesus to ask him this question. This encounter is in, is in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke. Matthew tells us that this guy is young, tells us that this guy is rich. Which if you don't know, if, if you're young and you're rich and you're wealthy, and you're also interested in spiritual matters like this guy is, he undoubtedly would have been given great authority and prominence in the synagogue. 
the church, so to speak. So here's a guy with authority. Here's a guy with wealth. Here's a guy with questions, with youth. Now, a lot of people ask Jesus questions. And the truth of the matter is, when you read the Bible, most of the people that are asking Jesus questions are trying to trap him. They're trying to bait him. I don't think that's what we have here. I don't think this guy is trying to snare Jesus in a, in a moment. I think he genuinely wants to know. I've got all this stuff. I've got everything going for me. And yet, deep down, I know there is something that I am still missing. Good teacher, I don't, I don't know who you fully are, but can you help me with this? Can you answer this for me? What do I need to do? There's something inside that just hasn't quite clicked. See, Jesus, he loves this man, looks at him, he loves him, the Bible tells us. He tells this man to go and sell everything. First, he, you know, they, they talk about all the things that this guy's got going right. Right? He's like, you know, Jesus says, well, you know, do this, do this, do this, do this. Oh, I've done all those things since I was a boy. P.S. No, you haven't. You haven't gotten all these things right. But in general, this young man has this more or less the, the spiritual scale. And you know what I'm talking about here. Because Jesus is about to get to the very thing that is gripping this man's heart. And this man is not going to yield to it. He's going to walk away sad. But what we see is this kind of scale of, of, of I've got this right. I've honored my mother and father. Uh, what else? Uh, I am not committing adultery. I, I haven't murdered. I haven't, you know, I haven't stolen. I haven't given false testimony. I'm not lying. All of these things are interpersonal commandments. They're about relating to one another. You'll notice that God or Jesus in this moment doesn't talk about having no other gods before me. He hasn't hit that. And it is the very thing that is gripping this man's heart. Oh, he has an idol, all right. And that idol is money. It's deceptive. Because on the surface, he is doing everything right. But deep down, there is something poisoning his soul. And if I can be honest, this is something that can poison you and me just as easily. And we pull out our list of the things that we've got going on. I serve at church. I'm on the worship team. You know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm good to my mom and dad. I don't steal. I'm not cheating on my spouse. You know, I've got, I, things are, I'm doing pretty good until we get to this, this tension and we avoid this tension as it pertains to money. We sidestep it. We ignore it. We dodge it. Because after all, we're doing really well on all these, over th these things over here. Surely this doesn't actually apply. Can't possibly. But can it? See, more often than not, we want a consultant more than we really want a king. 
And that's ultimately what happens here. Because if, 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 if this young man understood who he was speaking to, this wouldn't be advice and it wouldn't be a suggestion. It wouldn't be good thoughts. It wouldn't be positive vibes. Okay? It would be, he would be understanding. He would understand that his king is calling him to go sell everything and follow him. In other words, this king is worth everything. If you would just, un, if you, if you just grasped who you were speaking to. Look what Jesus does in this moment. The man calls him good. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? This is an interesting exchange because, you know, on the surface, good teacher. This seems like a good thing to say. Jesus is good and Jesus is a teacher. Let's put that thing together. You have good teacher. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? It's not that Jesus isn't good. It's that Jesus is trying to elevate this guy's understanding of who he's really talking to. And he says to him, only God is good. In other words, if I'm good, which he's not denying, and God is good, the only thing that is truly good is God, and by the way, I'm good, what does that mean? It's the, it's the if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. I realize math is hard, right? This is difficult. <laughs> but do the, do the equation. If Jesus is good and only God is good, then Jesus is God. He's raising the bar and trying to help this man understand who you are talking to. I'm not just giving out advice. I'm not just a good teacher in the sense that you think I'm a good teacher. I'm not just a good prophet who has some good wisdom and some godly inspiration for you. I am the son of the living God. I am the king of kings, the prince of peace. And if you want to understand what it looks like to inherit eternal life, it looks like this, everything. Give up everything and follow me. That's what it looks like. You're all in. No, holds out, no holdouts. No halfways. No half-baked. No. Full throttle all the way. Prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah 64.6. The prophet Isaiah, he says that all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts, meaning all of the list of things that you think you got going on, are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the and like the wind. Our sins sweep us away. This is hard truth. In other words, that all of my attempts to inherit eternal life or to curry favor with God ultimately mean nothing, which means that I need a king. I need a savior who is powerful enough and good enough and worthy enough and righteous enough to be able to do something about it. Thank God that we have that answer in Jesus Christ. He is the answer to this problem. But if you don't fully grasp the value and worth of who Jesus is, you'll never get that he's worth giving everything to follow. 
Why would you give up everything to follow a king that isn't really that great? Unless you understand that your condition is helpless and hopeless without him. That's who Jesus is. Extravagant generosity, growing and excelling in the grace of giving, it is rooted in knowing the value of Jesus, knowing who he is. You know, if you grew up in church, you know, we say things like worship, right? I mean, worship is obviously a common word. People use it. But we use it very loosely and we don't, you know, many times we don't, we don't take the time to understand the root words and the meanings and the history behind them. Now, if you're like me, I'm a word nerd, right? I like to know what things mean. But worship comes, it's, it's, it's Latin, it comes literally from the verbiage worthship. So when we say that we're coming together, for instance, on Sundays to worship, what we're ultimately declaring is that we are coming together as a people to declare the worth of Jesus Christ. That is what worship is. It is a declaration of Jesus's worth. That is an amazing picture of what worship is supposed to look like. And now, you know, when, 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 when we have music and we have the word being preached and we have time to give and we have time to come together and pray, it's not this thing where I just kind of stand around and I'm bored and I'm apathetic, I'm unengaged. No, I'm coming together to declare the worth of Jesus Christ, the perfect one, the pure one, the holy one, the one who was sent by the Father Father, to die for the sins of the world, my sins, the sins that I could do nothing about. This is my God and this is my King. And when I come together to worship, I declare his immeasurable, incomparable worth. That's who he is. And this is what we're called to do, called to be. And so as it pertains to get generosity and giving, Oh, my giving gets to declare to the world what I think about this God. Every single time I come together, every time I pull out my phone and I give online, every time you pull out a checkbook or you pull out cash and you put it in the offering, every single time. This isn't just habit. This isn't just routine. This isn't just what I always do because I grew up going to church. No, this is the people of God coming together and declaring the worth of Jesus Christ. Money has a way, doesn't it, to, uh, of getting, of just creeping into our heart and holding tight. I'm, I, I'm gripped when I read this encounter with Jesus. This man, he, he wants to know the answers for, for having life and life more abundantly. He wants the answers to this. And yet when he gets it, he walks away sad because he's unwilling to let go of his possessions. In other words, he has all this stuff and he thinks he has all this stuff, but really all this stuff has him. 
All of his money that he thinks he possesses, his money is possessing him. His money has control over his heart, and yet it's deceptive. He doesn't even see it. He doesn't know it. How many of us have been gripped by a love for money? A desire to get ahead. And and I get it. We need things. We've got to pay for things. You're thinking about retirement. You're thinking about college. You're thinking about paying off debt. I see that. I get that. I identify with that. But none of these things come at the expense, first and foremost, of declaring the worth of Jesus through our giving and through our generosity. Nothing comes between seeking first his kingdom. And what is it that Jesus says? All these things will be added unto you. That is not, hear me very clearly, this is not your ticket, right, that you punch to get ahead financially. If I just seek first his kingdom, well, then I'll have a college fund that just naturally beautifully appears. No. But what Jesus, our good and great King, promises us is that the first step in having a life where the path in front of you is straight and not crooked is making sure that Jesus and his kingdom comes first in your life. Not your kingdom, not mine, but his Jesus says, you've got one thing that you're, 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 you're not sold out. You haven't really given your life to this kingdom, to this king. You haven't done it. You've got to go sell everything, man. This has too much of a grip on your heart and soul. Go sell everything and give it to the poor. Then come, and I want you to follow me. And the man walks away sad because his possessions... And his life and his kingdom have too much of a hold and too much of a grip upon his heart. Jesus says in Matthew 13, 44, when he's talking about the kingdom, what it's like to follow Jesus and to really be in relationship with him. He says that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had, and he bought that field. This is what it's like. And this man doesn't see it. He doesn't get it. Jesus says, go sell everything, give up everything, and follow me. And he thinks that the cost is too great. And he doesn't understand that true joy, the ultimate abundant life of knowing Jesus and being completely transformed by him is one billion times, thousand times percent better than the one that he's living now. And in his joy, if he really knew who he was talking to, this king and his kingdom, it would be the greatest joy of his life to give up everything and pursue him. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. Oh my gosh, can you believe what I just found? Can you believe the immense value that exists right here? Can you believe this? I'm going right now and I'm going to sell everything I have in order to get that field and dig up that treasure because there is nothing of comparative value to it. Nothing. It's my joy. 
It is my joy to get to do this. Everything pales in comparison to the treasure of knowing Jesus. Everything. So when Jesus says, follow me with everything, it literally is our great joy to do it. Because far be it from us to have anything gripping our heart in such a way that is causing you and I to hold back anything from following Jesus. We're going to make a little turn right now. Because when we read this passage, there's nothing about this passage that actually talks about how you and I are to conduct ourselves on a day-to-day basis. We see an encounter with Jesus, and, and to be fair, most of us dismiss the implications of it because it's too difficult and too hard to think about appropriating that in our own life. But let's also be, but let's be honest. Is Jesus standing in front of us right now telling you and me to go sell every single thing that we have? Go to Bank of America and empty out your bank account and come and follow me. For most of you, no. I, I'm not going to say that God can't and won't ever tell you to do something crazy like that. Oh, God does. I mean, the disciples we see in the New Testament, they're selling fields. They're selling homes. They're bringing in massive amounts of money and sacrificing tremendous assets for the sake of the kingdom. Don't think that God won't ask you to do crazy things. Oh, he will. But for for just practical purposes today, as we flesh out what it means to be extravagantly generous, the kind of people that God has called us to be at high point. This is our tribe. We're extravagant givers. What do we do with this? How do we be the kind of people who have given up everything for him? Even when Jesus isn't asking for you and I to go empty your bank account. What does that look like? What does it, what does it mean? Little church history here, little, little Old Testament. We see this thing in the Old Testament called the tithe. And yes, you also see it in the New Testament, in case you're wondering. I'm going to bring it all together for you because some of you, if you grew up in church, you're already resisting this right now. You're thinking to yourself, oh, I can't believe we're going to talk about this. Just bear with me. The very first instance of the tithe in the Old Testament is Abraham as he encounters King Melchizedek, who is a foreshadowing of our great high priest, Jesus. Melchizedek is a a great high priest, and he is a foreshadowing of the ultimate, the true and better great high priest, Jesus. And when Abraham comes into an encounter with him, he is also, might I add, a rich young ruler. And when this rich young ruler encounters this king, he is so struck by the awesome nature of the king that he is around. That his instinctive response, no one has to tell him. There's no law that's given. There's no obligation. His instinctive response to the greatness of this king is to give literally a tenth of all that he has. It's what we we see in the Bible as the first tithe. And then we see the people of God henceforth moving forward in worship. And it actually becomes instituted as law. We see them bringing a tithe of all that they have, a tenth 
right, of what they've made, of what they've produced, of, of what's happened. They bring a tenth to the temple, right, the, the portable temple, the, the, the tabernacle. They bring it in worship as a way of declaring the greatness of the God that they serve. They're offering their generosity, their giving. They're giving to the poor. They're giving to those that are in need. And, they're, and the tenth that they bring in worship is to declare the worthiness of the king that they declare has changed them and that they follow, the God of Israel. And we see this carried all the way through. For thousands of years, we see the people of God tithing. Then you get to the New Testament and you see Jesus and his band of followers, and we don't see anyone really talking a great deal about tithing, but we don't ever see anyone saying not to tithe either. In fact, many times we see Jesus saying, hey, listen, tithe, but don't neglect these other things as well. In other words, the tithe had, had slipped and now had become this unemotional, uh, obligatory thing where they were fully unengaged in worship. And yes, obligatory giving doesn't engage your heart and, and, and declare the praises of, of him who has changed you either. So having a, a greedy heart and a greedy spirit or a religious, obligatory, simply dutiful kind of giving doesn't bring honor and glory to Jesus either. So what does? I tell you what does. Holy Spirit empowered and grace-filled generosity is what marked the early church. Spirit empowered giving. Meaning that there's something inside of you that gives you the ability beyond your own strength to walk in faith and to trust God and to see. And, and, and yes, to be an extravagant giver. What does it mean again to be an extravagant giver? It's beyond reason. It doesn't even make sense. Well, why would someone give like that? Because they have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God has changed them. It's changed their desires. It's changed their passions. Passions. It's changed their pursuits. And far be it from us to be the kind of people who don't look for every opportunity to declare how great the God that has changed us is. I want to tithe. In fact, what we see in the New Testament aren't people that tithe. We see people who go far beyond the tithe. Why? Because they are spirit-empowered. They're sensitive to what God's doing. They're helping the poor. They're looking for opportunities. They're sowing in here. They're investing here. They're bringing their best here. And they are extravagantly generous. This is what it means to be an extravagant giver. This is who we are as a church. And yes, I am working myself up a sweat preaching about generosity today. And I'm unashamed about it. I'm passionate about this. It fires me up. You need to know, Amy and I have had, whew, I mean, this is something for me. My major in college was finance and economics, right? So I, I, I have no problem talking about money. I love talking about money. But there's a difference between Loving what we can do with money and loving money. That's why Paul, when he writes to Timothy, he says that the love of money, it becomes the root of so many evils. But yet, when money is used in the right way, it 
declares the greatness of our God and it forwards his mission. This is, this is who we are. This is what we get to do. We're called to be extravagant givers. And when you have a revelation of Jesus, who he really is, it changes how you give. The greatness of my king inspires me to give. I want to give. I love to give. This is my chance. This is my moment. And Amy and I, back to even just what I was sharing, we've had hard times. I mean, you need to just know that. Now, there have been times in our lives, in our, when I was single, when we were married, when we did not have much. I mean, things were tight. But we made a declaration to each other and to God that even though things might be tough and things might be difficult, we are, we are going to give a tenth of everything that we have. We're going to commit to this. Because far be it from us to be a people who, who don't trust God in this area. Money will not have a grip on my heart. I will not be afraid. My God is good and my God is great. And he promises to care for me. I will seek first his kingdom. And one of the ways that I'm going to do that is I'm going to identify with the people of God for the same, in the same way that they have for thousands of years. And I'm going to bring a tenth of everything I have. And you know what? That is hard to do at times. To bring a tenth means you've got to look at your finances. You've got to look at your budget. You've got to reorient some things. You're going to feel that. You're going to feel it. And that is the point. You're going to feel this. This isn't a moment. It doesn't honor God when we bring our sloppy seconds. It doesn't honor God when we just bring our leftovers. It doesn't honor God when we have absolutely unengaged, heartfelt or unheartfelt uh, generosity. It doesn't honor God in that way. We need spirit-empowered, grace-filled generosity. That's what we're after. And so practically speaking today, we're, we're getting ready to re, you know, we've got the grand reopening of our church on September 12th, and we are amped for it. But guess what? There are things that we want to do in our community. There are people that still need help in our community. There are opportunities and huge needs that God, I know, has called us to do something about. How are we going to do it? We're going to pray. We're going to seek God. And we have to be people who give. We've got people that, that, that need to come on staff at some point. We've got buildings that, that are going to be in our future that are they're going to give us more room as a people to worship God and to, 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 better, to better disciple our kids and teenagers. All of these things are real and they are in front of us. And the way God will use us to, to, to break into these different areas is through our generosity. But we have to answer the call. And I am inviting you today to begin tithing. If you haven't, today is your day. Put God in this area fully first. I'm asking you to trust them in it. Trust them. This isn't manipulative. This isn't so we can just get the coffers full and feel great. No, 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 no. First and foremost, this is about worship and the worthiness of our great king. I don't want something from you. I want something for you in this moment.
And that means freedom in your heart of being afraid of the future. And the way you do that isn't by holding more tightly. It's by letting go and giving it to God, which is what Jesus is inviting the rich young ruler to do. And he's inviting us to do as well. Some of you today are, we got three things. We've got, we've got people who, who, who get the tithe and they, they grow up and they give a tenth, but, but your heart is fully unengaged in worship. Your, your generosity, while appreciated, it, 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 you're not engaging in a heartfelt moment with God. And I want to invite you today to re-engage God with your worship and allow Him to speak to you because He very well might be taking you further in areas of generosity, but you're not hearing Him because you're fully uninvested and unengaged as a Spirit-filled giver. Let the Holy Spirit breathe fresh wind into your sail. Listen to what God is doing. What is He asking of you? What's He asking of you? And do it. Some of you have never really given before, and, and this is a first-time opportunity for you. And your eyes are, it's like your eyes are being opened, and you're realizing, you know what? The Jesus that I serve is amazing. The Jesus that I serve is phenomenal. He's mind-blowing. He's changed my life. It's time that I, that I do something about declaring what I say about this Jesus in my actions. And one of the ways that I can do that is by beginning to give. So begin to give today and declare how amazing this God is. Let your giving do that. Yes, you're giving to the poor. Yes, you're giving to those in need. And yes, you're giving here at your church. And then there are those of you who are here today and you, you, you've dodged, right? You're the rich young ruler, so to speak, where you're, you're, you're sidestepping the difficulty in this encounter with Jesus. And I'm coming to you now as your pastor, and I want you to hear this. You can trust Jesus. Trust him. If you're not giving anything, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, it's fine, I've got this, 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 and this, you are, you're probably deceived and you don't realize it. In thinking that, or not thinking that money hasn't gotten a grip on your heart. The deception is fear. That somehow if I am generous and somehow if I give, I'll never be able to get out of debt. I'll never be able to have a retirement account. I'll never be able to have college. I'll never be able to get that deck on the back of my house. I'll never be able to buy that couch. By the way, everything I just listed are things that, that knock on the back of my mind. Yet Jesus and his kingdom comes first. Comes first. And so today what you get to do is begin to reorient your life in such a way to where you are becoming an extravagant giver. And maybe you can't begin to give 10% yet, but you can begin to give something. And my encouragement to you is to pick a percent, pray about it. Yes, get to a 10th, but start somewhere. Start at 5% and excel, like Paul says, in the grace of giving. Excel in it. Let's grow in it. And let's become extravagant givers.
Father, I thank you uh, in this moment that you, Lord, this is who we are, and yet it's also more of who you're calling us to be. God, I pray we wouldn't uh, sidestep what you're doing in this moment. You are an amazing king, a worthy king. And Lord, our generosity declares our wor- your, your worth. And so, God, let us be a people, Lord, that that give faithfully, who give cheerfully, who give joyfully, because we know the immeasurable, incomparable, amazing nature of Jesus Christ, our one true King. There is no one like you, Jesus. There's no one, no thing. There's nothing that even comes close. And we thank you today that you are a God that has changed us and made us new. And we worship you with everything we've got today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You're going to hear, you'll see details pop up on the screen in just a minute. But in a message like this, many people want to know, okay, well, how do I actually start giving? What do I do? How do I do this? Everything can be done online. And like you've heard a thousand times. First of all, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for giving, for your sake as well as for the churches. But everything that you need to do to take your next steps at High Point, you can do by texting HP Info to 97000. I love you. Let's be generous givers, extravagant givers. See you next week.